of us really trust him, really place him first in our life, really make him the center of our life. You see, that is a concern today that, that I have. Well, that's a concern that Paul had with the people at Colossae. Remember, he was teaching these people as he came along, and, and they were coming up with all of these different thoughts and these different ideas about what this whole Christianity thing was, what this whole following Jesus was all about. And so Paul comes and he says something about, you know, there are false teachers here and you need to be aware of that kind of thing. Now you can say to me, well, pastor, that was way back in Paul's time and we're better today. My question to you is, are we really better today? Or maybe are we even worse today? So what makes it the same as back in Paul's day. What do you think is happening today that might have been happening back in Paul's day? This is where you get to respond. What do you think is going on today? Okay, we worship what? We worship idols. What might be an idol that we would worship? Ourselves could be an idol that we worship. Our health, yeah. Do we worship idols in the sanctuary here today? You know, I, I have to laugh because two Sundays ago I was up here and I was talking and, and, and I did this. And Mary said to me afterwards, do you know what you did? And I thought, what did I do? You sat on the table. It's just a table. Come on! Do we worship the table? R remember a few Sundays ago, well, a few months ago, I blew out one of the candles? Oh, that's heresy. The candle went out. But it represents the Holy Spirit here. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't want us to get to the point where where we don't trust in anything, we don't believe in anything, nothing matters except Jesus. Well, I kind of do want us to get there, but not to the point where you just throw everything else out. You know, this morning I, I want us to focus on Christ. And I don't want us to just focus on Christ in the thought that, that okay, Jesus is the answer to everything, but, but how does Jesus really take over in all aspects of our life. And I mean where he controls our decisions as to what we do day in and day out. As we make decisions about our families, how does Jesus enter into that? As we make decisions about where we work and how we work, how does Jesus enter into that? When, when we relate to each other, whether it is fellow Christians or maybe it is a Christian to a non-Christian, how do we relate Jesus to that? You know, this morning we get to celebrate because we celebrate about who Christ is, but also who Christ is to us in what we are and what we say and what we do. Because if you will remember, before Jesus came, we were in bondage to sin. Okay, those are kind of churchy words, bondage to sin. 
What that means is we were in the control, we were controlled by sin. It had hold of us. There was, there was not a lot of hope. If you couldn't make it to the priest with your sacrifice, oh, sorry, you know, you're sinful. Sorry, you're not going to make it. But with Jesus coming, something took place. And what took place is we finally became free. And as Martin Luther King would say, free at last. Free at last. And that's what we are today. Because now, because of Christ, and, and our passage talks about this, that, that we have been rescued, that we have been liberated from our sins. Will you still sin? Answer, yes. You will still sin. Because none of us are perfect. But we are rescued from our sin, but we don't have to be held captive to that whole thought of us sinning. We do not have to be captured by that sin. Now understand also that Jesus empowers us to be masters over, not to be mastered by our carnal desires. Do we still have carnal desires? The answer is yes. We still have carnal desires. Okay, men, I'm going to pick on you since I'm a man and I understand this kind of stuff. What kind of carnal desires do we still have as Christians? Oh, come on, you all know. What? Lust of the eyes. Oh, I don't have that, Chuck. Do you have that? Oh, I do too. We as men, we have that. What, what other carnal desires, men? Pride. Pride. Huh. Me? Are you kidding? I'm above that. <laughs> yeah. Pride. Lust of the flesh? Yeah, that kind of comes with the eyes, too. Okay. Anybody else, men? I know about the person next to you. You know, the man in your aisle, not you. What? Gluttony. Glut oh, gee, I hate this today. Gluttony. What else? Greed. I love it. What was that one? I'm on a roll. Thank you. Ego. Selfish. Ladies, do we want to start on you now? We're enjoying this. Yeah, preach it, brothers. What about gambling? Pornography. Well, we covered that in Lust of the Eye and of the Flesh and so on. I mean, there's all kinds of things. But the great news is we are empowered to be masters over these things. And if we will accept Christ and will accept the power of Christ, then we can be victorious in those things. If we want to just do it ourselves and forget it, we are going to be mastered by these carnal desires. So the other thing here is that because of Jesus, we can be set free from these debilitating habits, these mindsets, these controlling influences. Remember what Romans 12, chapter 1 says, be what? Transformed. What does transform mean? To be changed, to be different. And in our own strength, it's awfully hard. But in Christ... He gives us the power to do that kind of thing. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul declared, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Anybody know what the recidivism rate is of people who get out of prison? Jerry, you work with prisoners a lot. Do you have any? It's over 50%. I'm thinking 65% maybe. That, that those 70, do I hear Do I hear 75? 70, 75. Yeah, Tama works with prisoners too. 70%. 70% of the people who get out of prison in a year or less are back, maybe it's three years or less, are back into prison again. See, the problem with us as Christians is we have the way out, we just don't always take the way out. We have Jesus Christ in our lives that can wash away the sin, that can take away those desires, but we don't let him do that. For some reason, we kind of like being stuck. For some reason, we kind of like moaning and groaning and whining and complaining. You know, in this passage that Pastor Mary read, Paul issues a sobering warning to the new believers about the dangers that are out there. Look at verse 8, if you would. For it says, see to it that no one takes you captive. You see, this is the menace. The menace is that there are people, there are things out there that are looking to take us captive. And it's not such the question of, and, and I would agree with all of us here, of us all of a sudden saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to turn my back on you, forget you, I'm going to go do my own thing. But it's more the thought of deception that is out there. That there are the little things that begin to sway us. It begins to turn us away from what God would have us do into what the world would have us do. So what are some of those deceptions that are out there? Maybe, maybe just so subtle that it's, it's not blatant. Because if it was blatant, we would say, no, we resist. But so subtle. Share some of those things with me. Advertising. You know, I'm sick of advertising because I know every time a commercial comes on, they're going to try to sell me something I don't want and I don't need. It's just that way. And, and they lie. I mean, they find nice ways to lie, subtle ways to lie, but they make you feel like you have to have what they have or you're not all right. What's another thing, a subtle thing? Culture. Yeah, notice what has happened over the years. Look back 20 years ago and see the values and how the values have changed. Very subtly, we are being deceived into what a world says is okay. And why does the world want to deceive us into saying these things are okay? Because the world wants to feel good about itself. And if it can get all of us saying, gee, what the world is doing is fine, then the world feels fine. Do you have anybody like that that you know? If they can just get you to do what they're doing, then they feel better about themselves. Okay, Kurt, you had something else. Yes. And, and then it's the thought, as long as nobody knows, it's okay. 
you know, we'll just leave what we do here. We'll live this life over here, but, but then we'll come over here and we'll be the pious Christians. Anybody living a life like that? I don't want to see your hands. <laughs> I already know that we do. Maybe, maybe not so blatant, but I already know. Oh, I'm tempted to answer that phone, uh, but I won't. See to it that no one takes you captive. Matthew chapter 24, verse 5 says, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Matthew chapter 24, a few verses later, verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. 2 Timothy 3.13. This problem wasn't resolved in Paul's day, but he has grown worse. Evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So what is this method of deception that Paul is so concerned about here? Look at the rest of verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through the hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So what's the problem there? What does it say there? What's the basic problem? Through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. What's the basic problem? We are. We are the basic problem. The human tradition. The us deciding what is right and what is wrong. We know by our experience. The only problem with knowing by our experience what happens. We get jaded. We get a little bit more jaded. We get a little bit more jaded. We get a little bit more jaded, and pretty soon we're all politically correct, aren't we? <laughs> Heaven forbid that we are not politically correct. Hmm. Politically correct, Christ correct. What do we bow to? So to it that no one takes you captive through empty and deceptive philosophy, which depends upon human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You see, he talks about two things. One is the depraved thinking. One is what comes from us. And, and I don't want to get down on us. I'm an us. I mean, I'm one of you. And I don't want to kick myself while I'm down, but I want us to realize that it is so easy for us to be swayed from one thing to another. Depending on which way the wind is going to blow, we tend to go, don't we? The nice thing about God's word is it doesn't do that. It is set. And some people will say, well, that's the problem with it. It needs to change to adapt to today's thinking. That is exactly the problem. 
is if we have something that is nothing and it's changing, it still becomes nothing. It changes, it becomes nothing, and it still becomes nothing. When you have something that is set, God's word, then you always have something to come back to, don't you? You always have that yardstick, that ruler to say, this is right, this is wrong. You know, looking at some of you, I, I, I know that you're living some things that are not right. And you have excuses for it, don't you? And if I asked you and you said, well, yeah, I know it's not right. And then what's the next word that always comes? But you don't understand. But it's like this. You see, those are those subtle, deceptive things, those human traditions, those human way of thinking, where we are saying to ourselves, yes, but, okay, I got to be careful how I say this, this might get R-rated. Somehow we need to leave the but out of our situations, our thinking. So it comes out something like, Yes, period. You understand what I'm saying? And we all do it. Some of us do it at a much worse level by some standards. Some of us do it on a lot less of a level by some standards. But we all do it. Yes, That sounds better, doesn't it, if I say it quietly? That's the method that is going on. The depraved thinking, the invention of man-made rules instead of God-made rules. The second thing it says there is that they're elementary. They're, they're basic through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. You see, our problem is we tend to exalt man above God. Joseph Smith, does that ring a bell? We exalt man above God. Mary Baker Eddy, does that ring a bell? We exalt woman above God. Could we say that about Wesley and Calvin and Luther? And Well, the difference there is they take Scripture and they interpret Scripture. The two I mentioned take Scripture and come up with some new Scripture, some new laws, some new rules. And I don't have to stop with those two. I mean, a lot of people do that. So it fits what they are and who they are. But what we have with God's word is God breathing into man. The laws, the rules, the ideas, the direction that he wants us to go. It's his words that are recorded, his thoughts that are recorded. And he is overseeing the whole thing. My friends, we must understand the truth concerning Christ. And we've talked about that before. And, and that's the sufficiency of Christ in all of this. And 
And I guess that brings us then to, to why that is a freeing type of thing for us. And that comes to our third point, the, the mind. And look at verse 9. For in Christ, notice this concept of the in. Our thinking is in Christ. Our living is in Christ. That's where it begins. And as we are in Christ, then comes the fullness of the deity. We find all of what God is in Jesus. All of it. The fullest. The fullness of the deity. Not our own thinking. Not man's thinking. Not the way we set things up. But the fullness of who God is. Hmm. You know, some of us think that when we become a Christian, all of, everything's going to be problem free. That we're going to have all the answers. That God's going to protect us in every situation. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true because... I can look at you and know that you may be walking in God and it may not be easy. And yet, we are guaranteed the fullness when we have Christ. And part of that is opening our hearts and our doors that we let that in. That we don't keep the sin in our lives which will keep that fullness away from us. So as we look at this, we, we focus on Christ and we focus on the person of Christ, the fullness of God. Everything we need is found in Jesus Christ. If you get a message from somebody and it says, okay, good, have Jesus and add to Jesus this, and you got it made. It's kind of like vitamins, isn't it? That there's always some advertisement as they found some new thing, and if you just add this to your diet, it will be taken care of. Or if you just take this pill, then it will take care of the problem. He'll live to be 173. I can hardly wait. My money will run out before I run out if that's the case. You see, there's people that come and say, well, yes, have Jesus, but then do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. My friends, as Christians, have Jesus, period. Oh, but what about tithing? Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Have Jesus and tithe, period. No, it's not what it says. The fullness of God is in Christ. And when we receive Christ, the fullness is there, available to us. And if we accept that we have to have something more, then we're accepting a, a, a life of slavery. Because we've got to do these things. Remember the Pharisees? Remember what they had to do? They had to do everything. They would take the laws that were there and they would expand those laws. And pretty soon they told you how many steps you could walk on the Sabbath before it became a sin. Can't you imagine what that would be like? You have your little Weight Watchers book, but instead of Weight Watchers, it's steps. And it's, okay, one, two, three. Okay, three steps at, okay, yeah. Oh, I got to go over here. Four, five, six. That's six steps now. My goodness, I only have 23 more steps and then... I can't move anymore today. I mean, you get the idea. When we put all of these things on top of Christ, then we become slaves to human things. That is the, the mindset. The change is we look at the person of Christ who is enough. We look at the provisions of Christ in verse 10. Look at verse 10. 
and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. It's in Christ. We are a unified group in Christ. It, us, it is us and it is Jesus. And then the power of Christ is there. We are not dependent upon anything else. We are dependent only, solely, upon the power of Jesus Christ. John tells us that Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Is that good news? That should be good news. To know that the devil is going to be defeated. That's Jesus. He's going to take care of that. So look what we have. We have the person of Christ. We have the provision of Christ. We have the power of Christ. So what does that mean to us today? That means today we can worship. That means today we can say, praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for making me everything that I need to be. Thank you for being that power, that provision, that person in my life. Help me, Lord, to follow, to be who you want me to be. That's the good news. And the guarantee is there that when we do that, that he will make us complete. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you. It doesn't have to be us. Oh, we're involved in that, I know, Lord. But as we focus on you, as we center upon you, as we become your man and your woman, your boy, your girl, that we can be conquerors, that we can be more, that we can be yours. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If we could have the ushers come now to receive the offering. At the foot of the cross, I surrender. At the foot of the cross, I give my At the feet of the Master, I lay down my will before the Lord. I fall. Let's all stand at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, I surrender. 
at the foot of the cross, I give my all, yeah, at the feet of the master, I lay down my will. 